This podcast is supported by Anchor FM. If you've ever thought about doing your own podcast, then check out Anchor FM. Anchor FM is a free podcast platform that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or your tablet if you got one. I really can't recommend these guys enough. It was worth switching over from another platform. Once you set up your podcast, Anchor FM will automatically distribute it to all other platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or such and such. It's very easy, very streamlined, and you can start making money immediately. Download the free Anchor app or log on to anchor.fm to get started. This is a Kitty Pod production. Welcome to CR Crime, the only podcast that deals with stories of true crime here in New York's capital region. I'm your host, Jason Bullitt, whom you may also remember as being the host of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, of which this is an offshoot. This week, we take a three-part look at the life and criminal career of a man who made headlines 22 years ago this month when he jumped off the Troy Manans Bridge on August 14, 1998. In part one, we'll look at the early life and criminal times of burglar-turned-serial killer Gary Evans. Next week, we'll take a deep dive into Evans' time in state prison and murder sprees during the mid to late 1980s. The week after that, on August 27th, we'll wrap up the series with the 1990s and the crimes that led to his infamous jump off the bridge and into a watery grave. Gary Charles Evans was born in Troy, New York on October 7, 1954, the only biological child of Roy and Flora Mae Evans. Gary had a half-sister named Robbie. A woman by the name of Joe Ream was something of an older sister to both the Evans children, but she otherwise had no blood relationship with the family. Evans grew up on the Collar City South Side and lived in an apartment on 1st Street. Growing up, He suffered from sexual abuse at the hands of not just his father, but his mentally ill mother, who would also join in occasionally in that regard. Roy Evans, who was an Army Air Corps, later Air Force pilot, and later worked as a barkeep until an automobile accident in which he was thrown through the windshield left him unemployed, would sometimes even let his male acquaintances get in on the action. Flora May was noted as having attempted suicide multiple times in front of her children. On one particular occasion, when Gary was only three years old, either her gun misfired hitting the elder Evans in the shoulder, or Roy wound up shooting her instead. The couple divorced in 1968, after many a squabble, and Flora May remarried four more times before she came out as a lesbian when Gary was 17 years of age and announced that she was through with men. Things weren't looking rosy on the medical front either, as she developed a case of pleurisy at that time. It should be noted that Evans the Younger suffered not only physical bullying at the hands of his parents, but he was also teased for wearing thick glasses. Despite having a muscular build and a pair of piercing blue eyes, and only standing about 5 feet 6 inches tall. The elder Evans also wrought mental abuse on his son. He would take the light bulbs out of his room so he wouldn't be able to see through the darkness. Another time, Roy handcuffed Gary to a post in their basement and had his way with him. 
Years later, Gary stated that, quote, he would not wish his sexual abuse on anyone, end quote. After the divorce, Flora May moved across the Hudson River to Cohoes and took both children with her. In 1970, half a century ago, the broken-up family moved to the Warren County hamlet of Potterville, and Flora May remarried a third time, only to divorce this unknown person when it was discovered he was also a card-carrying booze bag. Gary's half-sister married in June 1968, only to divorce this likewise unknown douchebag on grounds of domestic abuse. In a bid to get out of his environment in Cohoes, Gary moved into his half-sister's house and stayed with her for a while. Flora May entered into a lesbian relationship and stayed in it until her death on February 6, 1983 in New York City, just months before her 51st birthday. According to the New York Police Department, Flora May had slipped on some ice while attempting to get in her car and hit her head on the bumper of said car. Members of the city police department discover her body in a near fetal position. Flora May, who worked odd jobs in the manufacturing, retail, and garment industries, also proved the inspiration for her son's life of crime, primarily as she was a thief herself. In 1962, when Evans was eight years old, he pilfered a ring worth $1,000, a lot of money in the early 1960s. He also stole comic books on the regular, almost like rings to a boy that age. Seven years later, after his family's move up north, he robbed the house and was sentenced to 90 days in jail for petty larceny. By the time Evans, presumably, would have been in high school, he was couch surfing, finding shelter wherever he could, all the while stealing food to survive. At age 20, Evans returned to Troy and reunited with childhood friends Michael Falco and Tim Ryersdorf, and ended up sharing an apartment with the two men. The year 1977 not only saw the deaths of Elvis Presley, Groucho Marx, and Bing Crosby, as well as a citywide blackout in New York, but big changes in Gary Evans' life as well. The month of the blackout, Evans' father, Roy, died of throat cancer while the younger Evans was a prisoner at Wait for it. The Clinton Correctional Facility in Dannemora. Keep that place in the back of your mind if you haven't already, because that's going to come up a few times, not only in this episode, but maybe this whole series. On the positive side of the coin, Gary met a woman named Deirdre Fuller and started an on-again, off-again relationship with her. The two met when he was up north on a store robbery mission. Kind of a weird meet-cute, don't you think? One day, Gary got angry at her because she hadn't told him that she was dating an African-American man at the time. Gary wanted Deirdre to be committed to this relationship and told her to know on certain terms that the relationship was over. Furthermore, and according to a timeline done on him by a group of psychology students at Radford University in Virginia, he demanded that she give back everything belonging to him, threatening violence if she didn't comply. It was sussed out that Deirdre had never seen this side of Evans before. She would never see Evans again. On January 13, 1977, Evans was arrested in Lake Placid while robbing a home in that Adirondack village and was sentenced to four years in state prison for third-degree larceny. Dana Moore was Evans' initial landing place 
until halfway through his sentence when he was transferred to the Great Meadow Correctional Facility in Comstock, Washington County, from where he was released on parole on March 21, 1980. After his release, he moved back in with Ryersdorf and Falco and picked up his burglary career where he left off. In the spring of 1980, Evans was caught with several hundred dollars worth of stolen goods. He was sent to the old Rensselaer County Jail in downtown Troy as he was arrested while on parole. Evans, though, got out not through legal means, but rather through a little outside muscle. The local chapter of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang somehow got wind of all this and went over to break Evans out of the county clink. However, his freedom only lasted all of five hours as he was eventually brought back to the jail and placed in solitary confinement. Later that year, on September 21st, Evans' parole was revoked and he was sent back up north for another two to four year stint at Dannemora. On March 19, 1982, Evans was denied parole again on the grounds that, according to the police board, Quote, he had to talk to a counselor about his antisocial behavior, end quote. On December 12th, a mere four days before your narrator was born and on his father's 36th birthday, Evans was transferred from Dana Moore to the infamous Attica State Prison in western New York, 400 miles away as the crow flies. Attica, then as now, had a reputation for holding the state's worst criminals, and Evans had gotten so bad in the eyes of prison officials that he was not allowed in its general population. Jim Horton, an investigator who built a close friendship with Evans, stated that during his time in Attica, Evans started moving away from robbery towards murder. Three days before the beginning of 1983, Evans was released and sometime into the new year headed for Florida. However, Evans wasn't long for the Sunshine State, and headed back north and picked up both his living with Ryersdorf and Falco and his criminal career. On Easter Sunday, April 3, 1983, Evans was arrested for robbing a home, but was later released on bond. Two and a half weeks later, he was arrested again, this time not just for burglary, but also for grand larceny and taken to the Saratoga County Jail. Sometime in early 1984, he was transferred to the Warren County Jail in Queensbury, only to be moved back across the Hudson River. He served time at both county jails, except for one stretch when he was transferred to the Montgomery County Jail, as if things weren't confusing enough, until his release from Warren County on March 31, 1984, and put into a conditional release program. This entailed that he had to be on his best behavior for the remainder of his sentence, which was nine months. Even though he got back to robbing houses, he was never caught. Evans was released from his parole on September 16th, and four months later, on January 10th, 1985, his conditional release expired. On February 16th, Evans and Falco drove to East Greenbush in the latter's Plymouth satellite. The two were loaded for bear, bringing along a police scanner, two large duffel bags, a rope ladder, and other implements of destruction, on a mission to rob a home of gold and other valuables. The pair decided to Ocean's Eleven the situation somewhat 
by hauling themselves onto the house's roof by way of a portajon, and entered the house by way of a hatch on the roof, and once all was said and stolen, the pair had made off with roughly $15,000 worth of jewelry and other valuables. Somehow the local constabulary got wind of the robbery, and not one minute after Falco and Evans drove off, they pulled over the car and asked the pair what they had done behind the building, to which Evans replied that they had to go to the bathroom. The duo were not arrested, but the policemen involved wrote down their names and addresses and let them go. Two months later, Evans wasn't so lucky to avoid arrest. On April 21st, he acted as though he was going to make a deal in Troy with two men for a large amount of marijuana. When the two unknown wags went into the trunk of their car to get the drugs, Evans took off running with $12,000 cash. As the saying goes, the suspect always returns to the scene of the crime. And in this case, he came back to steal the car that belonged to the two men, who had told the Troy police that they had been robbed of the twelve grand. Evans drove the stolen car from Troy to Cohoes, running a red light as he got into town. This caught the attention of a Cohoes policeman, who gunned his car and lit the cherries in hot pursuit, looking to pull him over. In fear that the cop was doing so for the burglary rather than the traffic infraction, Evans did eventually pull over, but fled the scene, throwing his gun and fake ID out of the car in the process. He eventually surrendered while the police recovered the gun and fake ID and taken to the Albany County Jail in the town of Colony on charges of first-degree armed robbery, criminal possession of a weapon, jewelry burglary, and grand larceny. He confessed to Jim Horton, Mama, there's that man again, that the father of a mutual friend tipped off both him and Falco on how to get into the house during the February robbery and then signed a statement backing up that claim. Horton also noticed that one of the Cohoes cops had stolen one quarter of the 12 grand Evans stole from the two would-be drug dealers. Evans remained in the Albany County Jail until that July, when he received a two- to four-year sentence, another one, which he served briefly at Danamora. Again? Yes, again, until he was transferred to the Rensselaer County Jail, from which he was soon released. With Evans in and out of jail, Michael Falco and Tim Ryersdorf, more the former than the latter, had started to feel some resentment towards their old friend. Sometime after his release, Evans shot Falco, then age 30, in the back of his head in their apartment with a 22 caliber pistol and a homemade silencer jerry-rigged from door screen and duct tape. Ryersdorf was in the upstairs part of the apartment when the shooting took place, and he later helped Evans put Falco's body into Ryersdorf's car. It looks as though Ryersdorf didn't hate Evans enough to be an accessory to a crime, especially when the former tipped the latter off that Falco had stolen a piece of jewelry from him, when in reality, he had stolen a necklace and given it to a lady they had all known. Evans later found out that Ryersdorf had lied when he saw a woman wearing that same necklace. Evans then drove to Lake Worth, Florida, where his half-sister Robbie lived at the time. It was near her house where Evans buried the body and where he stayed for six weeks, going back north to New York afterwards. The month after the murder, Evans was arrested and transferred to Sing Sing Correctional Facility in Westchester County. 
It was at that prison that Evans started ratting on folks in letters to Jim Horton, who was not yet aware that Evans had become a murderer. As 1985 reached its end, Evans was transferred to Dannemora and started receiving the rare letter from Robbie. In one of those letters, Robbie wrote that someone disguised as Evans had called her saying that he had a fetish towards and bragged about animal husbandry. Evans was incensed when he read this, but to his eternal credit, such as it is, he quickly dropped the subject. However, this wasn't the last letter he would get from his half-sister. We'll discuss that, as well as his doings in the clink and the murder sprees of the late 1980s, next week. Thanks, as always, for listening to CR Crime. If you enjoyed this episode, we've got a full archive on the same fee as the Keep It To Yourself podcast, available on Anchor FM. You can also listen there, as well as on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, or the platform of your choice. And give us a good rating and a good write-up. Five stars, that is. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Flora May, who worked odd jobs at the... From where he was released on parole on March 21st, 1980. After his release, he moved back then with... Thanks a lot, Otis, you tripped me. Somehow, the local constabulary got wind of the robbery, and not one minute after they drove off, police pulled over the car and asked the pair what they were...